Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Hello, you're listening to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. Hello, I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> Adam, I was going to start the show by imploring all of our viewers that write for media organizations to make sure that our show is in their best of 2016 lists, but mm. I'm not going to do that because they already know. I want to tell you about a very funny conversation I had with my wife this week. Okay, so we're skipping the first part. We're going straight into the second part. Yeah, this is like, we're not doing that Marin Open. We're doing this Marin Open. Okay. Uh, so my wife, bless her heart, has never seen a frame of Star Trek The Next Generation, the subject of our podcast here. And uh, <laughs> I tweeted a little bit of this, but uh, I wanted, uh, you know, most people don't follow me on Twitter, and, and for good reason. Oh, those um, people have made a huge mistake. We uh, we were like uh, doing the quaint old thing of channel surfing the other day, and we uh, flicked past an episode of Frasier that was on in reruns, and Patrick Stewart was a a, a, a cameo character on this episode, and she just goes, Data! <laughs> Sincerely. Oh, no. <laughs> and I said, uh, that's, that's actually Captain Picard. And uh, she's like, well, who are the characters on that show? There's Data, there's Geordi, there's Shimoda. <laughs> she's right about all those. Those yeah. are characters. And uh, I, I didn't know how to break it to her that Shimoda was only on one episode. She's like, you talk about him all the time. You didn't tell her the truth, did you? I did, because I didn't want her to, like... Uh, I mean, as embarrassing as this whole thing has been for her, I don't want her to get further embarrassed. Wow. I mean, I would hate for her to... Well, I guess I would hate for her to watch the show and be disappointed that there wasn't as much Shimoda as she was expecting. Yeah. But also, I love the idea of her watching episode after episode, expecting for him to come back. <laughs> Did you make this guy up? <laughs> um, so, So that was amusing and then we, we you know watched some i don't know somebody cooking something on tv for a little while and she, she says what's the ship called again it's not the death star that's in star wars right who and, and i go no it's not the death star and she's like wait don't tell me and i was like all right <laughs> she's like it ends in an r right and i said no <laughs> i don't what she said voyager explorer she she wound up guessing entrepreneur, which I think is hilarious. I think and, I, just to just to jump in here real quickly, like I want to interrupt the groans of ten thousand nerds <laughs> out there by saying yeah. that I've met Rachel several times before. She is a smart and capable and beautiful person through and through. Yeah, uh, but one of the ways that she is not a genius uh, just might be. Uh, <laughs> having to do with Star Trek and tangentially like a little bit of the pop culture that, that we exist in. Yeah. I mean, she's, uh, not vastly younger than me, but she's, uh, she's, you know, enough younger than you that you probably didn't have any childhood shows in common. I just sort of like, cause we recently spent a couple of days together, uh, when we were all visiting together in California, like I got the feeling that she just might've been cooler than me. <laughs> like in her in her growing up and that that could account for the uh the detachment that i think a lot of less than cool people have and use to form relationships with each other like yeah like, like this is the currency the nerd currency that you that you share with someone to become friends and if you're really? cool you don't necessarily you've got uh you've got rubles or something you've got you get a different currency to spread around yeah. socially yeah, so she didn't spend any part of her childhood knowing things about an imaginary universe. Right. And and, and yeah. that, like, wouldn't have helped her even if she had. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't need that. 
<laughs> I fucking did. Yeah, yeah like, uh, like, like two crutches that connect to my forearms. I needed this. Well, anyways, uh, the other night we were out uh, out to see a film, and uh, we walked past the Barclays Center in uh, downtown Brooklyn, the new uh, basketball arena. And uh, she the goes, one that looks all rusty. She goes, God, that that thing looks so futuristic. That thing looks like the entrepreneur. <laughs> I I am like sixty percent sure that she thinks that the enterprise is actually called the entrepreneur. There's a there's a chance that she's like do it, she's like gaslighting me and she she knows full well. But uh, well, on the chance that she may be listening, I hope she never stops that. That is hilarious. <laughs> the entrepreneur D. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't Kirk's entrepreneur. <laughs> Now Picard is in charge. Oh wow! It's a uh, entrepreneur is a French word, isn't it? Sure. To go, yeah. to go with its French captain. Well, and it also like it's not far off the mark, right? Like enterprise is like a word that connotes business and and success, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> like, like there's something kind of amazing about that. She guessed entrepreneur. The IPO alone will be enough to buy the ship. (laughs) Well, what do you say we get into our episode, Adam? These are the voyages, Ben, of the Starship Entrepreneur. (laughs) It's season four, episode 18, Identity Crisis. This is a kind of a fun cold open. It's a uh, video playback of some Starfleet officers, most of whom we don't know, but uh, Jordy is in there. And they're exploring a planet, and Jordy is in a red shirt in this. And uh, and then we kind of, they're like, I, I don't know what they're looking for. They're looking for missing colonists or something, and they... The camera pulls back, and it turns out we've been watching this on a monitor in the observation lounge on the Enterprise, and uh, we're we we are in a McLaughlin group, and we didn't even know it. Issue one. It's uh, yeah, they're sort of watching a CSI episode, aren't they? Like yeah, they're, they're doing some forensic evidence investigation. Mm-hmm. They're watching an episode of another Star Trek show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they do this all the time. Yeah. That's how you get caught up. Uh, so the the backstory that we quickly come to know is that uh, this officer who's giving the presentation, uh, Lieutenant Commander Susanna Layton, yeah, I'm saying that right, Layton, is um, is uh, looking into the disappearance of every single other person that is in this video, aside from her and Jordy, and uh, they've all jaked shuttlecrafts. And headed back to this planet that uh, that this video was taken on, which is Tarchanon Three, Tarkanon Three, probably Tarkanon. Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of shuttlecrafts getting jaked in this episode, like maybe more than ever. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they're running out of previas, Ben. <laughs> yeah, well, fortunately, these aren't all coming from the Enterprise. Some of them are coming from other ships or uh, star bases or whatever. But yeah, like these these offices are like, you know, like salmon returning to the headwaters of this mystery and, uh, and disappearing in the process. This is going to be the end of the road for a lot of salmon. That's a great way to describe it. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. That's why I get the big bucks. <laughs> There's a there's a cozy familiarity between this uh, this Lieutenant Commander Layton and Jordy, which leads me to believe that he has not stalked her before <laughs> or yet, because like they have a they have a totally great friendship going, and she is not creeped out by him at all. It made me feel happy that Jordy could have something like this and not fuck it up. It's a weird episode because. I think that if Galaxy's Child had not come so recently in the show order, 
I think that this would be an episode about a healthy relationship that Jordy has with a woman. <laughs> yeah. But every interaction I feel is colored by what we just saw. And like at one point she's like losing her mind and legitimately needs to be restrained and he restrains her. Where are you going? Suzanne. <laughs> Stay away. Suze. The Porsche Enterprise Medical Emergency Two to Sick Bay. And it's like very upsetting. It's yeah. totally gross and weird. I think there are a couple of powers at work here. There's there is the head cannon that we've come up with for Jordy that may or may not be reasonable and true. But also, I think the binge works against our feelings about Jordy here because season four is definitely the season of Jordy. Yeah. And and we've gotten several episodes just in this season alone that we've watched fairly close together that paints a pretty disturbing picture of our friend Jordy LaForge. Yeah. Seriously. Well, anyways, um, the uh, one of the missing shuttlecraft is uh, is entering Tarkanen airspace and uh, the enterprise shows up just in time to not be able to do anything about it and this is like this is like a total mirror of when jake yeah. stole the shuttle like yeah. like picard is trying to talk uh i think it's lieutenant hickman that's uh trying to land it through you know entering the atmosphere safely and uh i guess the enterprise is too far away for transporter or tractor beaming and so He's just going to try and talk him through it, but Lieutenant Hickman is non-responsive, and uh, the the uh, I guess the shuttlecraft hits the atmosphere at too steep an angle. Lieutenant Hickman, you must do what I tell you: reduce your velocity and bring your craft to a positive pitch of twenty degrees now. The shuttle is entering the lower ionosphere, sir. Pops. He dead. <laughs> there goes another Previa. Oh man, we gotta we gotta do something about these Previas getting getting jacked. Maybe maybe the thing to do is like like put like a primer door panel on all of the Previas so they're like a little bit less desirable. It's, I mean. We have low jack right now, Ben. <laughs> Did they decide at some point to just get rid of that technology? This this is also a ship that got spotted by like a transport vessel yeah. on its way. Like the, it's like just go get it. What do you mean it's running away? Just go fucking get it. You have starships. Oh man. Yeah, and this Hickman guy is not responding to any hails at all. Picard is just getting more and more urgent with his mm-hmm. messaging. He's like, pull up, man. Hickman, you're blowing it here. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so they, uh, so they watch this guy buy the farm, and they uh, scan the surface, and there's two more Previas down there. And they're like, well, at least this isn't a total loss. We can go get those other Previas. Even so if they're salvage title, I think we can get some money out of them. <laughs> yeah, we'll put them in the penny saver. We'll, we'll get some money. <laughs> they beam down and they're, they put a search party together and they're looking for the other Starfleet guys that are missing. Uh, they can't find them, but they do find some like wadded up and muddy uniforms, and which, some uh, three toe footprints. Yeah, pretty creepy shit. Yeah, a real bummer. That's six thousand dollars worth of uniform <laughs> that is totally ruined, and you know, not to mention the fact that lobster claws are now being heavily foreshadowed. I mean, I mentioned the season of Jordy being season four, but I, I might want to rewrite that as as the season of lobster hands. <laughs> it's a real leitmotif. Yeah, I, I think we were talking about the idea that it could potentially be the uh, lobster claw box set, but I don't need, know that we need to do that. We can just call it lobster claw season. 
Yeah, it truly is. It's uh, you know how every season of a long running show has a different picture on the season box, but usually it's like it's like the main character and then an ancillary character. This one's definitely Picard and a hand with three fingers on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that poster paints itself, baby. <laughs> What's your favorite season, Ben? I don't know. Season four is pretty good. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to say that definitively until we're done, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to choose. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, made a, it's made the best case for itself so far. Wouldn't you say? How would it make that case? By having less shitty episodes than other seasons. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, the the metric has become the lack of bad episodes versus, I think, the the myriad great episodes. I don't feel like season four is has got a ton of great episodes in it. It's, it's lows are just less low than other seasons so far. Yeah, it's less... It, it's less miserable to sit through. <laughs> oh, man, that's a sticker that should go on the box. <laughs> <laughs> now with 30% less misery. Benjamin R. Harrison of the Greatest Generation podcast says, <laughs> you're a regular uh, uh, Leonard Malton. <laughs> uh, you're not the first person to say that, Adam. Um, well... <laughs> Does Rachel yeah. say that too? <laughs> she she wouldn't know who Leonard Malton is. Come on. Yeah, she <laughs> she uh, think so, she think that was Gene Shalit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, the uh, the away team comes back with some non definitive evidence that the other two people are down there on the planet. But it's a it's a it's a mystery, and this is a fun mystery episode where a lot of, you know, technologically appropriate mystery solving goes on, and uh, part of the investigation lands on the doctor who uh, finds skin cells on the uniforms. Yeah, and I guess she also finds them in Leighton's body. And um, the Doctor and Data are looking to figure out what species this is that has three toes and this weird type of skin cells. Leighton and Geordi are working together on trying to figure out, like, what it is that is drawing people back to this planet. What's what's flipping a switch in their head that says, like, I got to get back to that planet? And the captain is like, this, there's something going up on this planet, so nobody's going down there until we figure that out. And it's not long before Leighton starts kind of trying to make excuses for getting back down there. You know, she's like, we can't do our investigation from up here. The, f- the fucking answers are on the surface, man. This, uh, the, the tension is being raised through both her, her insistence to go down and sort of an invisible clock, right? Yeah. Uh, many years have passed between uh, when the away team was on this planet for the first time and their return... And so Leighton and Jordy are sort of wondering when that buzzer is going to go off in their heads. Like, if this happens to everyone. Eventually, my number's up. When's right. it going to happen? And yeah. so the urgency is really being spurred here. And it isn't long before Leighton starts displaying these symptoms. Right. And it's also got Data pretty worked up. There's a, 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 a pretty bad scene where the doctor asks Data if he's, like, anxious about the uh, situation. And Data has to re 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 explain that he's an android and doesn't have emotions. You're worried about Jordy, aren't you? I'm an android. It is not possible for you to feel anxiety. I really didn't like that scene. It was a total turn to camera. Like, for those of you who haven't watched every episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Right. I should tell you that yeah, it, it's like he said, "Have you been watching, Doctor? Because we've been over this." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bad. She is very condescending too. I feel <laughs> like in a way that that rubs me the wrong way too. Yeah, Data kind of redeems himself later though, because Jordy uh, is like doing some work in the uh, Shimoda Memorial Corner, and uh, Data just comes up behind him. 
and like totally, totally spooks Jordy. Jordy, may I inquire how your investigation is proceeding? And it's like a funny little moment that like, I mean, it plays a little bit into what's going on, but not even that much. And uh, was was really charming, I thought. I really love how much action the Shimoda Corner has been getting this season. Totally. Feels like feels like it is a strong third set on this show mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah, it's in there. My, my, my love is a peep of longing tail for that which longer nurses the disease. So uh, Susanna, the uh, lieutenant commander there that's helping them, is uh, getting more and more anxious and eventually... She uh she like bails out and collapses, and uh, Jordy runs over and I I guess he's probably checking for a nubbin on the back of her neck just to be sure. Yeah, you been... gotta do that. You just do, like I I bet in Starfleet it's it's fairly standard protocol to just do a nubbin check every you know five or six hours on everybody in your section. I'm sure for a while they considered dropping the collar. Like dropping that Mandarin collar into maybe a V situation. Just put a, a little a notch situation. in the back. Yeah. yeah. A back V. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a deep back V. Yeah. Uh, I like that. They scrapped that idea. Uh, yeah. A few of the few of the crewmen with, with back hair protested in a pretty big way. Yeah. Well, Susanna, in lieu of a nubbin, has weird blue veins and her hands have gone lobstery. Doctor, her hands have gone full lobster. What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, it, uh... That's a really, like, that is like a, a D-minus Zoidberg. That's, that sucked. Sorry. It's the best Zoidberg you've got under the circumstances. <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes you don't get the Zoidberg you, you want. You get the Zoidberg you need. Yeah, that's the that's the Zoidberg we uh, we deserve right now, and uh, um, and so we must hunt Zoidberg because he can take it. <laughs> Anyways, the investigation has to continue, but Susanna is now is now confined to six bay, and she's worsening pretty quickly. She goes from being veiny to like having loaf all over her face and veins all over her body. Eventually, like, they discover that she's got some kind of weird bioluminescence in her skin. If you shine a flashlight at her, uh, her skin will glow for a little while. It's not looking good, and uh, everything that the doctor is doing to try and slow this down is uh, apparently having no effect. Jordy is uh, sort of seeing his future here. He's like, oh, my yeah. God, this is terrible. It's going to happen to me. This happened to one of my best friends. Yeah. And Picard and Beverly are like, look, man, uh, I'm thinking we should probably confine you to the six bay so we can get our arms around this thing. And Jordy has a pretty great scene here with the two of them. He's like, what would you do, Captain? Would you sit it out here in six bay or try to learn what it is that's got you? Maybe stop it. I would prefer to stay out of Six Bay and go work on the problem. And Picard finds this is a pretty sensible uh, plea. For, so uh, so they let Jordy go. This doesn't exactly forgive everything up until now, though, which is a pattern of jaking shuttlecrafts and taking control of ships by the people who are on this planet who are right. who are who are who are metamorphizing, morphizing. It would be really fun if they just cut to a scene of Worf in the shuttle bay putting clubs on the <laughs> steering wheels of all the Previas. That's just it, Ben. They do nothing to <laughs> to prevent what they know is coming. Like Jordy is like, you know, you could always just check up on me every once in a while to make sure I'm still on the ship. Even though a couple of episodes ago, Beverly is like, uh, has the computer audibly say what Picard's medical condition is like right. second by second like they could do a little bit more but they don't nope uh wouldn't wouldn't move the narrative forward would it adam no it sure wouldn't it is a guiding principle of a base have you got find it within yourself to stand up tell the truth you don't deserve to wear that uniform 
This is like one of my favorite sequences, maybe in the whole of Star Trek, because it's him solving a mystery with really cool tools. Yeah. And it's so he goes back and he's like looking at the surveillance footage that they have been looking at the entire time. And he notices this weird shadow that he can't explain in the shot. And this is like super well done because it's in there for sure. It's a weird shadow, but it's, it's not clear what's casting it. And they do a good job of making it look real and like, and look like something that's settled that you wouldn't see the first time. That's always a a really hard balance to strike in production. Like something that a character has to notice later after we've already seen it a bunch of times, it's either going to be like embarrassingly obvious or (laughs) like incredibly obscure but yeah. not like the perfect amount of subtlety. And I think they really nail this. But uh, he goes to Holodeck 3 and he like recreates the scene. He 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 really like fully Leah Brahms it up. Is his instinct to create ways to solve problems in the Holodeck a violation of his parole though? <laughs> well, it definitely made me rethink about that, which was like not helping the fact that otherwise this would have been just like a pretty like fine okay healthy interaction he was having with the Susanna character. Yeah. It just changes but anyways, everything. Yeah, it just changes everything. It colors the whole like everything he does from now on. Um but yeah, so th- th- what he does is like he, you know, starts eliminating characters and eventually he discovers that this shadow is still there with all of the people in the shot missing and extrapolating that the thing casting it might be the same height as him uh he has the computer make a uh you know its best guess at a 3d representation of what that thing would be and it's like this spooky gray character like it's it's like not even a character it's like the outline of a body in three-dimensional space that uh, appears in in the middle of this scene and uh, it becomes clear that there was an invisible alien there when they were down on that planet five years ago kind of looks like a broken lava lamp it's really (laughs) creepy it's effectively creepy for sure for sure yeah i mean mean, this episode it uh it takes some good lessons from the movie alien like there's all this kind of body horror thematic stuff happening where the the thing that is the threat is already inside them. Yeah. But also the time bomb story, but also it's such a cool metaphor for disappearance. You know, the, the, the characters are disappearing. They're worried about disappearing. And these creatures that they are turning into actually disappear. Like it's, it's really fun. It's really like, it's like cool writing that doesn't have a lot of shitty holes in it, which is nice for a change. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, like this, like this discovery comes like basically not soon enough because Jordy, uh, pitches over and, uh, and they like, uh, cut to back of neck and he's, uh, he has also developed the blue veins and then he, uh, lifts up his hand. He gone lobster as well, Adam. Oh God, I'm coming down. The lobster is spread. <laughs> this is where the big payoff for their terrible security apparatus comes though. Yeah. Because uh we cut back to Six Bay and Beverly's slowly making breakthroughs about what's happening to Susanna on the biobed. They've wheeled over a bunch of gear to help figure it out, including a uh, clip show device. I totally uh, wrote which, down which clip lives... show device in my notes. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> like in case they have to go to clip show, uh, they've yeah. got that at the ready. I think that's important. <laughs> oh, actually, I called it clip show rig. Excuse <laughs> yeah. me. Uh, yeah. Oh man. I yeah. love that 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 was like in a corner, uh, you know, in one of the in one of the hangers on the Paramount lot. They just like, hey, uh, we're doing some medical stuff in this episode. Why don't we get that clip show thing over here? Look, guys, that took two, maybe three hours to make. So we're not just going <laughs> to throw that away. <laughs> Uh, they, uh, yeah, so they, they've pretty much reversed the, the thing and they're like, this is great. Let's get Jordy in here. Right. We'll do the same thing to him and, uh, and we'll be on our way. 
and uh, they start right, trying to radio him up. No answer. The last place he was, he was, as far as the ship is concerned, is in the holodeck, and there's no transporter record, and there's no jaking been reported. So Picard's like, this is very exciting. This is what we were expecting by not keeping an eye on Geordi the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Very good. <laughs> and the and the doctor's extraordinary. Like, maybe not it's not that there's something wrong with Geordi, but maybe there's something wrong with the universe. And everybody's like, Shut up, doctor. So they send a Dustbuster Club to the holodeck and they they fan out and start a search, which is the dumbest way to look for something in the holodeck like it occurs to me that the dustbuster club is a great name to give this group because they're always cleaning up the messes of the plot <laughs> like if they had just acted sensibly 20 minutes ago there would be no need yeah well they don't take the step of turning off the holodeck and then seeing what is left <laughs> they just walk in there and they're like well we'll have to search behind all these trees and brush and whatnot <laughs> You search the structure. I will take the perimeter. It could take hours. <laughs> they, uh, as they're looking, presumably invisible Jordy slips out because uh, not long after the doors open in the transporter room and predator invisibility mode Jordy runs in, beats the beats up the transporter operator, and initiates a transport, beaming himself down to Tarkanan Three. Yeah, it is. It's sort of, uh, look, I think we've been very complimentary about LeVar Burton's body up until now, so I don't want this to come out as super cruel, but uh, it's sort of a tubby predator situation running into that transporter room, isn't it? Yeah. Like sort of grimace predator. He's very pear-shaped. Yeah. Maybe they put the uh, green screen suit on over the uniform, so it's like a little bunchier than than you would want it to be. Hey, is this okay? I I feel like it's really bunching on the sides. No, LeVar, it's cool. Like, we're just going to comp it out. It's fine. You're going to be invisible, dude. <laughs> no time for vanity. We got to get you on set. They got to go down to the planet and find him now, and... They're like, Data, can you rig up a way for us to see him in the dark? Because he's going to be invisible. And Data's like, yeah, I could probably uh, put a UV filter on a flashlight. And so they cut to this really weird scene in engineering where Data is in, like, almost weirdly deliberate slow motion putting pieces together in this flashlight. It's like, like we know that he can do isolinear chip reorganization at turbo speed and he's like he's like gingerly looking through this uv lens as though to check it for dust and scratches it's like just put it together man like like how hard is it to put a filter on a fucking flashlight and and they're like data how much longer is this going to take and he's like oh it's going to take two minutes it's also a thing that's a little too transparent from the prop department like it combines two things Two different tools that we saw earlier on in the episode. Yeah. Like, we get close-ups on these flashlights several times in the opening scene, and then we just get that combo with with sort of a, a stick, like a handheld stick later on. Yeah. Like, I wish they had come up with something new for this scene, but they didn't. Would, would have been better. Yeah. But they go down there, and uh, and the flashlight works. Like, they're you know, initially they're like, is anybody even here? But they start, you know start panning around with the flashlight and they find a whole bunch of these hobbling husky aliens. Susanna's helping and she's not holding one of these lights. She seems to have some sort of mental connection to these other creatures. Like she's she's sort of half recovered, but not recovered all the way. So she's got her link somehow to them. Yeah. And I guess like in kind of going through it, she's, come to understand that this is the way that this species reproduces it kind of turns adult members of other species into them by inserting this incredibly hard to detect virus into them yeah it's almost exactly like what the borg do except for some reason uh worth studying instead of destroying yeah well and also unlike the borgs these aliens seem content once that's accomplished, to like hang out in like a campsite, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. 
just uh, sing, singing, singing songs by the campfire, heating up some cocoa. They're pretty chill f- for uh, for assimilating aliens. Playing uh, playing some three string guitar. Yeah. Making some very simple to make gloves with three fingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an easy knitting project, even if you only have three fingers to do it with. <laughs> so with with some with some tender coaxing. Uh, Susanna is able to convince fully alienized Jordy to take her hand and come back to the ship. He gives her a big hug, and I guess they beam her up and uh, and uh, him along with her, and uh, and that's it. Like they uh, they're gonna have to call the other Starfleet officers that are missing a loss. But uh, Worf is like, yep. Yeah, everybody with a speaking role managed to make it through okay, huh. which is great. They give Jordy the same cure that they gave Susanna. Jordy's feeling great about his prognosis from there. Yeah. How do you think this process changed Jordy? I mean, I think that's the thing about Jordy is that he almost never experiences any change. Like, Right. A lot of the other characters, like, I mean, you know, if Worf uh, is receives discommendation in one episode that remains true two episodes later but i like you know like jordy has been through all these things where he's supposed to have like ptsd or you know he's his entire body has been taken over in this episode and been like mostly transformed on a genetic level and it's like yeah it's like i don't i don't know if it will i don't know if we will ever hear about it again it's really strange how Jordy gets a ton of bottle episodes and his character development also remains in the bottle. Yeah. He gets that short shrift in a way that I don't feel like a lot of the main characters get, the others anyway. Yeah. It's huh. weird. Well, uh, Picard promises that they're going to put some quarantine beacons on the planet and... uh the bottle is resealed, recorked. <laughs> they they dip the neck in wax to uh, make sure that it looks like nobody has tampered with it, and they fly off for another adventure in the galaxy. Did you like this episode, Ben? I think it's a really solid episode. There's so much to like about it. I think that we kind of have to watch this episode on its own terms, and that's hard because of Galaxy's Child. Yeah, but uh, by itself, I think it it's a very strong ep. I wish they did more with this. Like, I think the Susanna Layton character is such an interesting character. I wish she could come back. You know, yeah, yeah. I love the idea of Jordy like mourning these friends of his that are turned into this alien forever. You know, like how does how does somebody in a post scarcity futuristic utopia mourn a really a really strange death like that because they're not really dead you know yeah yeah like what what what's he go through to deal with that i want to know yeah i mean his ability to have a healthy platonic relationship with someone (laughs) like makes me like jordy a lot more yeah for sure this show this episode i mean like It does so many good things and so many bad things. Like, this is the episode where they pull off a predator effect really well. This is Mm -hmm. also the episode where they stick a bunch of people in, like, purple, slim, good body suits and shoot them with UV light. Like, (laughs) And I feel like for a long time we've wanted practical aliens. Like, give us all the practical effects. It's so cool to see them. But, like, when this is what you get, (laughs) I would rather not have them, you know? I, d- I don't funny, feel like the alien effect here is is good, and yeah. that is the that's the part that sinks it for me. I love the interpersonal stuff. I love like it's real terror to see a terrible fate coming, like in slow motion. And I thought mm-hmm. they played that part of the story really well. So I did like it with reservations. Nice. Well, I have some uh, some lights blinking here, and uh, there's only one thing that could mean, Adam. Is that an ultraviolet light? It's time to check for some Priority One messages. Okay. 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Well, fuck, that was a false alarm, Adam. Nobody bought a Priority One message for today's episode, and uh, that means we're going to have to shut the podcast down. Fair enough. I'd say, well, let's call this a, a, an early warning. <laughs> if, uh, if you'd like to keep the podcast going, uh, what you got to do is go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message, two hundred for a commercial message, and it is a uh, important part of how we convince our wives to let us keep doing this. It's a critical part of a balanced breakfast. <laughs> you got your toast, you got your orange juice, you got your coffee, you got your maximumfun.org/jumbotron. I'm a little slurry. Maximumfun.org/jumbotron. There you go. You got it. You got it that time. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What is the part that we do next on the show? 
I believe it is when you say, hey, Ben, to me. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Uh, using a ultraviolet flashlight, <laughs> were you able to find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, my Shimoda uh, happened very close to the Jim Shimoda Memorial Corner, and it was uh, Susanna that got the got the crown this time. When she collapses as after kind of trying to storm out of engineering... It is one of the cheesiest takes that yeah. we have yet seen in the history of this show. It is all ham and all cheese when she like it's it's like it's like they were like do it like you're slipping on a banana. <laughs> like like that's the level of performance here. And she's like a good actor. Like she really carries her scenes very well. Yeah, this really one moment her. is just so fucking weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost as if she was so good throughout the episode, the director, the director was like, you get one take. That's it. <laughs> Moving on. Check the gate. Yeah. It felt like sabotage in a weird way, because she's so yeah. much better than that scene throughout. Yeah. Uh, did you find yourself a uh, Shimoda? I did, and it was sort of a, it was a moment, Shimoda. It was a Shimomenta. Yeah. <laughs> So at the very end, like uh, the beat before the button, the scene before the button, probably Picard's in, in Six Bay. He goes up to C- Susanna and he's like, is there no hope for the others, Susanna? And Leighton's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> like a single word. And then they turn away from camera and walk over to Jordy in maybe four seconds of silence. I thought that was an incredibly hubristic <laughs> amount of uh, of tying up the loose thread like like how many <laughs> how many times have they gone way past the point yeah. of no hope and still pulled it out for other crewmen they over explain so many things on this show unnecessarily but <laughs> but that nope was like with a bullet it was so harsh <laughs> yeah nope they're dead i just loved it it was yeah it was cold shit yeah and it's especially weird because Susanna was one of them, like, moments ago. Mm-hmm. She's like, nah, fuck them. <laughs> Pretty cold. Yeah. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is season four, episode 19, The Nth Degree, <laughs> when a crew member is endowed with superhuman intelligence by an alien probe. He threatens the fate of the Enterprise... Do you remember this one, Adam? Uh, what what ship is this? Yeah, uh... <laughs> I think they're talking about the Entrepreneur, right? Kind of kind of a typo, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the episode where lasers go into Barkley's head. It is. It truly is. I'm excited, I'm excited to see this, this one. one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's funny how how we've turned dreading Barkley episodes into really relishing them. Like I know, I know, I at one point hated this character, but <laughs> I'm on board now. Cool. Well, we don't have any vetoes, so even if you weren't, there's nothing you could do about it. Uh, so we will be watching it, and that will be the next ep of the Greatest Generation. You know what makes people feel like they have lasers shooting out of their heads, Ben? What's that, Adam? The the nice tingly feeling you get from. Contributing to the production of our show by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Yeah, that is a good feeling. Uh, I have some news about that, Adam. Oh, yeah? Uh, I put together the audio from our our tour, and uh, I think that two out of the three shows we got good tape on. So one of those is going to rise to becoming our first donor bonus episode which will probably come out around the time of the max fun drive which will be uh early next year so if you want to uh if you want to make sure that you are in the first scrum of people that get access to that you're gonna want to be a donor i listened to one of these live shows ben and it was really fun to listen to because i don't remember any of it I kind of feel like I blacked out on stage up there. Yeah. So it was super fun to hear us do a show with with such with such loud 
uh, responses from the audience. Was really yeah, cool. I was I was really pleased with how the audio came out. Uh, we didn't, you know, knowing not how any of this actually works, we really don't deserve the quality of tape that we got. Um, but uh, the shows were all super fun, and uh, and I'm really excited for people to hear. Uh, one of these so uh, once we unfortunately the audio on the Seattle one my mic was way too loud so I have I I sound like Jimi Hendrix's guitar the entire time Mm. but um, that's the wrong kind of clip show yeah super clippy (laughs) nice thanks dad Uh, yeah (laughs) you like that uh, but the other two came out really good, so we just have to pick which one we think is like the the A plus of the two, and, uh, and it's gonna be it's gonna be in that donor feed. And uh, if you want to get in on that, go to maximumfund.org/donate. Other ways you can support the show: leave us a nice review in iTunes. We are like pretty much there is a possibility, Adam, that we could get to a thousand iTunes reviews on the iTunes store by the end of the year. I think that would be a really cool if we got a thousand reviews in the first calendar year of our show being a thing. I'm just shaking my head that that could ever have been a thing. But it's amazing. Yeah. Thank you to everybody that's already left one. If you're if you're inclined to help us reach a completely insane milestone like that, uh, we would really appreciate it. So uh, go leave us a review. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, you can talk to us on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. I'm on there as at Cut for Time. Ben is there as at Benjamin R. A-H-R. We've got Facebook pages and groups. We've got Reddit pages, uh, both of which are super conversational and fun and funny. Yeah. Thank you to Dark Materia and Adam Ragusia for our music. Dark Materia made the theme. Adam Ragusia made our Priority One song. Uh, and that's just about it, I think. Yeah, let's end the charade. (laughs) With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and a laser-brained episode of The Greatest Generation. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.